Gentlemen, welcome to Fight Club. Who's your movie? Hello, everyone. Welcome to Who's Your Movie, the podcast where we go over our favorite movies scene by scene and we talk about those movies. Spoiler central here for anyone that hasn't seen these movies. You have been warned. I am your host. My name's Bill. I'm here with my brother from another mother. I've known him most of his life. He's known me all of mine. Say hello to Zim. Zim, say hello to the people. Hello. Alright, so today we're going to be going over a gem from 1999. This is a David Fincher directed film starring Brad Pitt, Ed Norton, and Helena Bonham Carter. The movie I'm talking about is Fight Club, and we've already broken the first two rules on episode one. Not right out of the gate. Not a good start. We'll get to what that means in a little bit, in case you haven't seen it. But again, if you haven't seen it, warning, spoilers ahead. Lots and lots and lots of spoilers. All of the spoilers. So, if you'd like to watch the movie first, now's your chance to hit the pause button and do so. Because we're going to get right into it. Here we go. We start Fight Club. Opening credits. We start out with a lovely graphic of what appears to be the inside of a brain, I want to say. It's a fair assessment, yeah. And you see like the little electron impulses and all that crap and... It slowly zooms out in through other parts of the bodies as the credits and all the good things are rolling through the screen. And ultimately, we zoom all the way out of Ed Norton's mouth and down the sights of a gun that is held by, well, we know to be Brad Pitt, but he is not shown directly on camera or in focus yet. From here, we are immediately let in on the situation. We see that Ed Norton has the gun in his mouth. He is being threatened by Brad Pitt's character. He is in a assumed-to-be high-rise. I I'd imagine he's at least several stories in the air. And we are told that there are bombs in vans in several, well, I want to say a dozen buildings around the city. And they are about to explode. Interesting way to start off the movie. They kind of told us what's going on right off the bat. I don't know how you feel about getting told the climax right away like that. Well, I mean, you got to look at it as kind of like almost like a Tarantino movie. Telling it in different parts. But they don't give away the ending. See, th- this for me actually felt a little different than a Tarantino even. Because Tarantino, he plays with the timeline a lot. And I, and I thought about it that way. But then I realized it's really the only time that that happens in the movie. We kind of got Citizen Kane. Like, yeah. the vans are the rosebud now. And now we're getting to the rosebud. Now, I don't, I'm not necessarily against it, but it, w- it was kind of odd to just go right there and uh, i think they do a good enough job throughout the movie to kind of divert your attention away from the bombs in the van with all the other stuff going on but you know second time through it's like wow they really give you a lot of way right away mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh in a way though they kind of grab your attention with that too though yeah mission accomplished uh zooming out to the sights of the gun in someone's mouth <laughs> yeah <laughs> And in this scene, we immediately find out that uh, Brad Pitt's character's name is Tyler, which is interesting because, uh, we'll just lay this one out now, Ed Norton's character never actually gets a name. Uh, We'll go over some possible names 
throughout this, but he's never actually definitively given a name. So I'm going to call him Ed Norton throughout the rest of this episode. <laughs> and it's just going to be Ed Norton going through all of this stuff. And, well, then maybe you have some sympathy for Ed Norton as a person. I don't know. Anyhow, after we find out about the Bonds, we go to this confusing little flashback to... He's in a testicular cancer therapy session. <laughs> after... <laughs> Mentioning in passing this girl's name, Marla, who we have yet to see, we also meet Bob, played by Meatloaf. <laughs> Bob ends up being a fairly significant character in the movie, but at the time he seems like comic relief. So we're told that he's going to these therapy sessions because he has insomnia and he has some type of job that requires travel. We haven't been told what it is yet, and he also reveals his obsession with ikea i don't know if that's really a thing i don't think i've ever met anyone obsessed with ikea other than going there for meatballs um i have have <laughs> you two people oh dear lord my mother and my ex-girlfriend kelly oh my god oh, she's not my mother my sister oh okay <laughs> all right uh i was gonna say I, I don't recall your mother having a lot of ikea stuff but okay if it was your sister that's different I only laugh at Ikea because of the American Dad line when Roger comes in and says, I'm sorry I'm late, I was in Ikea and I couldn't figure out how to leave. So, <laughs> uh, so during this exposition about him being an insomniac and everything, there's a shot in his place of work and we have our first Tyler blip. What's a Tyler blip? A Tyler blip is when... You see a little flash on the screen, and you're not sure what it is, and then you pause the movie, and you see that it is Brad Pitt's character that blips on the screen for a very short, like, millisecond of time. More on that later, but that's where the first one comes in. So Ed Norton goes to see the doctor, won't give him any meds to go uh, sleep properly, he just says you need healthy sleep, and also says that if you think you're in pain, go check out the uh, the people at the cancer therapy session. So he does. While that happens, we have a second Tyler blip while the doctor's telling him this. I don't know if I've ever had a doctor say, go to a session, a support group for something that you don't actually have. Do you, is this responsible doctoring? <laughs> you got to suspend belief on this one or reality because this is... Yeah, no, no doctor that has a license would ever recommend that. <laughs> I mean, I get not giving somebody drugs that he thinks is just trying to get strung out or something, but like, yes, just go to a testicular cancer support group, even though you do not have this disease. Like, well, to me, it's like, <laughs> that would be rather dangerous, actually, because you send someone to a group like that, who I'm sure they have pain medication. <laughs> Touche. I didn't even think about that. That's, that's quite irresponsible. <laughs> Oh, man. The malpractice just keeps pouring in here in Fight Club. Uh, uh, thank God this was not based on a, a, based on a reality situation. No, no, not that we're aware of anyway. <laughs> oh, so, taking the doctor's advice, Ed Norton goes to this support group. And while he's at the support group and the guy that's leading the session is consoling another person that has just told their story, we have another Tyler Blip. That's three Tyler Blitz for those of you scoring at home. And we have another Bob experience. Um, so, to clarify, Bob, was he a, uh, he was a fighter, right? No, he was a bodybuilder. A bodybuilder who was out on roids, and uh, they did 
things to his body and required uh, another region surgery, correct? Something like that. He, he, he had uh, testicular cancer from the steroids. He used to be one of those late night infomercial guys. And then ever since the, the, the cancer diagnosis, then he kind of put on a lot of weight because he didn't work out anymore. And uh, I think they gave him estrogen to reverse the excess testosterone. Correct. correct. And he uh, he grew some lady parts in his chestal area, well, and they were rather large. We'll just say it the natural way, chesticles. Okay, I, I like it. We'll go with that. Um, another stretch of uh, suspending disbelief. There, I've I've had friends that have taken estrogen for therapy and. While there is development there, it's not quite as uh, extreme as meatloaf <laughs> um, by any stretch of the imagination. Well, so, I think that was just made for made for the movie, but yeah, yeah. So either it was a gross overstatement for the effect, or meatloaf's character got implants and just blamed it on the estrogen. We don't know. Actually, that's a point of contention. I think he actually did have breast implants while he was a bodybuilder in the movie. I think they made a point of that. Ah, ah, ah. Well, that would explain it then, because, yeah, yeah, you have, you have to see it to understand. But that shit didn't just come from, uh, from hormones. No. <laughs> All right. So, we were mentioning that Ed Norton doesn't have a name, but he does have a name tag that says Cornelius on here. Um, that's one of a few. Yes, as he goes through the sessions, he's going to have a lot of different names. Uh, you, you know the list. Yes, I mean, now you got to remember, folks, that he went to at least, at least four different support groups. And for every support group, he had a different name. One was Cornelius, one was Rupert, one was Travis, and one was Jack. Yes, so we have no idea what's real here at this point. He's very clearly just trying to hide his identity, so then he can go here. And the reason he goes here is because after that first one, he goes home. And says that he's never slept so well in his life. And it turns out that that's the only way that he can get a proper rest is to go and pretend that he has these diseases. And to just, you know, let go emotionally or whatever the, the case is. He becomes addicted to these support groups. He does. There's one that's odd in particular. I, I don't remember which group it is exactly, but the, the lady running it has them, like, close their eyes and go to, like, their zone, their place. Their cave. And he's, yeah, and he's in this icy cave, and this weird-ass penguin <laughs> slides down and just says, Sly. I don't know if that's intended to be his real name, or, they don't, they, they don't explain this shit at all. It's just, Sly. It's very vague, yeah. Yeah, so. And speaking on that, it kind of go accentuate Bill's point on this. If you go on IMDb to, to look up the movie, it lists Edward Norton's character as the narrator, because all this is being done, spoken from his point of view. Yeah, it's it's definitely cryptic, and yeah, if anybody knows what the hell's going on with Sly, drop us a note on our social media that we'll give you at the end of the show here. Um, as we mentioned, he is now addicted to these support groups. He's going to a bunch of them, and that's when we meet Marla. I uh, totally just said that like a stripper intro. Jesus, we meet Marla, <laughs> better known as Helen the Bottom uh, Bottom Carter, the ultimate I don't give a fuck girl. Uh, and you can just tell when she walks in. Uh, she brazenly walks into the testicular cancer group and says, this cancer, right? Takes a big puff of her cigarette, walks in, sits down like there's nothing wrong with a very obvious female walking into a testicular cancer group and just does her thing. 
Which infuriates Edward Norton. It does. And he then goes back to not being able to sleep. And he's all angry because he's accusing her, ironically, of all the things that he is himself doing. Calling her a tourist and she doesn't have any of these afflictions. None of that. Not that he does, but... (laughs) Right. The irony is not lost. As he's back on his not being able to sleep well, he's walking outside, he looks over, and we have our last Tyler blip! Uh, that's four for those scoring at home. Four Tyler blips. What do the Tyler blips mean? We'll get to that. Uh, I'll point back to it. I'll feed you baby birds. But eventually he confronts Marla, and... They work out a schedule. Yeah. The most ridiculous thing... (laughs) It... They have, like, this divorce-like split-up. <laughs> you take these groups, I'll take these groups. Well, we both like this group. You take the first and third Thursdays, I'll take the... What the fuck is going on here? You're not... This is not a custody battle. <laughs> and that's exactly how they treat it. It's, it's comical as much as it's sad, <laughs> but it's... Entertaining, for sure. It, it's so hilariously petty. Uh, <laughs> All while this is taking place while Marla is stealing clothes out of a laundromat and selling it at the resale shop across the street. Yes. Yes, she is the ultimate streetwise, like I say, I don't give a fuck girl that it just, and she clearly does whatever she needs to to get by. and Steals the Meals on Wheels stuff out of their, out of their truck. Yeah, she uh, <laughs> assumes the identity of two dead ladies to get their meals on wheels like there's uh definitely some advantage taking of holes in the system so at this point we find out that ed norton his job is a recall coordinator for like auto companies uh he doesn't say which auto company in particular but he goes through a whole spiel about how they determine whether to do a recall or not and it's you know it's your typical appalling corporate bullshit so we'll just leave it there science (laughs) But during one of his trips, this is where we are introduced to Tyler Durden. Tyler, Brad Pitt's character, sits next to Ed Norton on a flight. Ed Norton comments that they have the same briefcase. Uh, This is an important small detail, but big detail at the same time. Uh, Tyler reveals that he makes soap for a living. And then once they part ways after the flight... Ed Norton finds out that his luggage was vibrating, so the baggage handlers had to call the police, and there was some kind of crisis. I don't know if it's ever revealed that he gets his luggage back and they find out, or if they're holding it for whatever reason, but he is held up at the airport. I don't know if that's... I'm not too hip on airport procedures, so I don't know if you have any insight into it. No, not really, but I will say this much in terms of Tyler Durden. This is, you know, where you see, you know, Bill mentioned earlier about Marla being the no-fucks-given kind of girl. Tyler is a no-fucks-given kind of guy. He's very straightforward with how he views the world, and that comes into play many times over the next few scenes. Ironically, when we see him leave the airport, he jumps into a convertible and then drives away, and then you see someone running after saying, hey, that's my car. So, (laughs) yeah, he clearly does not give a fuck. Yeah, he doesn't (laughs) give a shit about anything except for himself. (laughs) <laughs> All right, so luggage crisis, however that ended up turning out, and I guess it's left to the viewer to imagine, we'll say that he got his luggage back happily. I don't know. 
He goes back to his apartment and finds out it has blown up. It's gone. Fire coming out of the busted out windows. All of Ikea furniture ruined. All of it. His condiment-laden refrigerator with nothing else in it. I do love the scene where he was sitting there just licking mustard off a, off a knife. <laughs> the Edward, ultimate Ed, bachelor. <laughs> Edward Norton, that is, by the way, folks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the dude is like the consummate bachelor. Uh, so good. So, so his refrigerator has ejected itself from the apartment. All his condiments are lying on the sidewalk. Somehow... Marla's number perfectly survives the blast. I mean, there's, like, char on the outside, but the handwritten area where the, uh, they exchanged numbers during the, the hilariously petty breakup, just so that, uh, in case they wanted to switch nights, they could call each other and not cross paths, that, that number survived the fire and the blast and the explosion with no problem. Ironically enough, yes. Yes. Nah. Not the refrigerator, not the Ikea furniture, not the door, not anything else. Just that, that piece of paper. Uh, it was made out of, like, aluminum or something. <laughs> the the lead-based note. <laughs> Ed Norton decides to call up Marla, because of course he does. Why would he find the number if he didn't? So he calls, says nothing. Like, the high school kid did... He's calling the pretty girl for the first time. He doesn't know what to say. He just sits there on the phone. <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> so, after a couple seconds, she starts chewing about Like, I can hear you breathing. <laughs> he hangs up. Then he calls Tyler, who has given Ed Norton his business card on the flight. Doesn't get an answer. So he hangs up the phone. And the phone rings as soon as he hangs it up. And he answers, and it's Tyler. And for all of you kiddos out there who are way too young to remember this, uh, <laughs> Star 69. Star 69. <laughs> this was a thing. Uh, this was a thing back in the 90s where if before there were cell phones and I think even before caller ID. Yeah. Yes, there was a time you didn't know who was calling you. You had to pick up the phone to find out. I know, dark ages, right? Uh, there was a way, if you missed a call, to return that phone call, especially if you didn't have an answering machine and they couldn't leave you a message and say who it was or whatever reason you had. You could press star six nine and it would return the phone call. And that's what happens here. <laughs> and Ed Norton gets star 69 in a telephone booth. And yeah, that sounds a lot dirtier than it was supposed to, but yeah, phrase. Uh, mind you, this was 20 years ago. <laughs> Yes. Uh, it, on the button 20 years ago. Exactly. Ah, uh, man. We, we've come a long way with technology. <laughs> well, look at, the, look at what we're doing right now. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, <clears throat> my God. What I did find hilarious about the phone call, though, is the entire time Tyler's on the phone with Edward Norton, you could hear him eating popcorn or, ch- or ch- chomping on some chips the entire time. That was hilarious. Is that like a Brad Pitt thing? Like, Every freaking movie I see him in, he's like, he's chopping down on something. You can either hear it or see it. Like, especially like Ocean's Eleven, like every scene he's got like nachos or like a sandwich or something. <laughs> like, it's like his calling card or something. I don't know. I think that's the only instance in this movie, at least. Like, yeah. Well, Burn After Reading, he was always drinking something. Yeah. Like, he's got to be consuming something on camera. I don't know. Maybe it's a. Tick or maybe it's hypoglycemia. Who knows? It could be. 
Yeah, so we have our Brad Pitt food intake fulfillment for the movie, at least here. Well, I, I just love the way it sounded, though. It was like, yeah, crunch, crunch, crunch. <laughs> like the angry dad, like, answering the phone at the uh, cute girl's house after you didn't say anything and have to call back. What <laughs> is this? Click. Uh, so they meet up, they go and uh, have a couple of drinks, and Ed Norton explains what happens, and uh, eventually asks Tyler to stay with him. Asks Tyler if he can stay at Tyler's place. Let me clarify that. Well, hold on. Before you go any further there, Bill, actually Tyler comes out and says, if you just want to stay at my place, why don't you just ask me? This is the most awkward, can I stay at your place scene I think I've ever seen, because... He's, if I remember right, he says, like, oh, I think I need to find a hotel, right? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> and then, like he said, he's like, dude, just ask. And then, yeah, it goes on for, it had to go on for, what, two minutes? At least. I, I think it was supposed to demonstrate the meekness of Ed Norton's character and how he's not quite able to let go yet. Well, mind with that, but he doesn't have the backbone. Doesn't have the confidence, the balls, whatever you want to call it. Doesn't have that about him. So Tyler finally gets him to ask, and so he asks, and he says, yep. And let me, let me say this now, folks, that if you haven't seen this movie, it is probably the shittiest toss I've ever seen in my life. Oh, yeah. That's going to be touched on. Yes. During this, uh, I think it was in the bar, maybe it was after he asked, I can't remember specifics, but they go back to another job that Tyler had, and it was a, a film reel projector. And this is where the Tyler blips that we were counting come in. They mention a film technique where there's a short little burst of a, a circle in the corner that tells the, the projection reel guy when to switch reels on the uh, on the film projector. And it's, he says it's called in the industry cigarette burns. The Tyler blips were cigarette burns, but they were there for a reason. And we'll get to that reason in a little bit later. Most of you probably already know why, but fuck it. We're going to wait because <laughs> we don't want to spoil things too early. Then we show some other jobs that Tyler's had with, like, working in kitchens and... He's a busboy. Busboys. Uh, this dude's a dick. He's a, well, no, he's not a dick. Not in my eyes. In my eyes, he's a hustler. I don't know, man. Peeing right in the... Uh, well, okay, then, yeah. <laughs> in someone's food is kind of a dick move. Well, yeah, I'm just saying he's a hustler. He does what he has to do. Yeah, he, he pulls some gnarly shit on these people. Going back to the projectionist part, when he was splicing, you know, bits of porn into a family movie. Yeah, this this dude was, uh, he was out there. He definitely, definitely an anti-conformist. Uh, other than the, the food, most of it was ultimately harmless, it seemed. Yeah, he's definitely not above going the low road. <laughs> well, let's, let's look at it here as, okay, he works as a busboy, as a projectionist, and he makes his own soap. I love the part when they he took Edward Norton with him. To the, uh, to the liposuction clinic to get the fat, the liquefied fat, to make the soap. And I love how he put it, saying, ah, we're selling a woman's own fat asses back to him for 20 bucks a bar. But before we get to Tyler's place, after uh, Ed Norton asks to stay there, Brad, uh, well, Tyler asks him to hit him as hard as he can. And it's the weirdest thing. It's like, let's randomly fight. So they randomly have this fight in the parking lot <laughs> before they go to Tyler's house. Wow. It's the weirdest damn thing ever. I love the fact that when Tyler says that Edward Norton hit me, it's like the most awkward punch in the world and he hits him in the ear. Yeah. 
there was nothing behind this punch either. No. It was like the sissies. I think he might have hit him with the heel of his hand. It was like it was so weird. But Brad Pitt sold it though. He's like, wow, that really fucking hurt. <laughs> I understand where it was progressing to, but it, the way it started was just so random and weird. Like, I think if a guy asked me to do that, I'd, like, rethink staying at his place, but uh, I'm not Ed Norton, so... Um, and you're not in the movie. I'm definitely not in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they fight and agree that it was great and need to do it again, which is even more weird, but... Uh, you know, whatever. Uh, they go back to Tyler's place. Wow, this is a shithole. <laughs> oh my god. What did Edward Norton say? He said he couldn't tell if he was squ- squatting or what? Uh, he, he couldn't tell if he owned the place or was squatting, and he wouldn't be surprised if it was either one. Right. <laughs> Somehow, this place has power. So, even though the basement floods when it rains. Yes. Tells me that it has to have been being paid for by somebody, because there wouldn't be power there. Unless they had a generator. Well, it could be. I don't know how generators interact with fuse boxes and stuff, but they do have to go and take the fuses out when it rains because of the basement flooding, like you mentioned. Yeah. And there is running water. Yes. So, likely it's at the very least being rented. And I think they touch on it later. It's so inconsequential, I don't remember. But I think he mentions, like, you rented the house and... Put it to you this way, folks. There is no Wi-Fi in this house. No. <laughs> if you have seen an old haunted house movie or, like, the seedy motel, it, it's kind of like those two places had a baby, and in, that baby grew to be a three-story building across from, uh, like, a factory in the middle of nowhere it's in the middle of the city. And his grandparent was uh, the Munster's house? Oh, dear God. The, the, the place was ridiculously awful. Ed Norton almost falls through the stairs at one point. Uh, <laughs> every ounce of paint and or wallpaper or whatever it was on the walls is now peeled off and drywall and mold and all that shit's coming out underneath. All the wood swells. <laughs> oh, the mattress is just sitting on the on the ground like looking like it's probably got every kind of viral infection known to man in it. Well, I mean... I've had my mattress on the ground before, but never that bad. No, like, oh, it, it was awful. But they stay there and somehow don't get a te- don't need a tetanus shot. No, not not exactly the five star Four Seasons Hotel by any means. However, from here, Fight Club starts and it uh, starts out in the parking lot. I can't remember if it's the same parking lot. Yes, is it the same parking lot where they had their first fight? Yes. Okay. Because we'll go on later to tell more about this, but it turns out that they go into the basement of the bar eventually. Apparently they have the ability to shut down nightclubs or uh, gentlemen's clubs because they walk in the door and the guy at the front says, all right, everybody out, and leads them downstairs. Well, it could be also closing time, too. It could be. They go into the nice, spacious basement. That's where we learn the rules of Fight Club. Roll out those rules. Okay, here we go. The The rules of Fight Club. First rule, you do not talk about Fight Club. Already broke it. <laughs> rule number two, you do not talk about Fight Club. Definitely already broke it. <laughs> number three, if someone says stop or goes limp, taps out, the fight is over. I don't know if you guys are tapping out yet, but we're breaking that one too because we're still going on. Yes. Number four, only two guys to a fight. Well, there's two of us here, we're fine. Yes, we're good. Number five, only one fight at a time. 
We're, we're on track now. Number six, no shirts, no shoes. Well, we broke that rule. Yeah, um, I don't have shoes on, but... I do. Yeah, I'm going to keep my shirt on. Number seven, fights will go on as long as they have to. Yeah. And the final rule of Fight Club. If this is your first night at Fight Club, you have to fight. Which is interesting, because what if you get a whole room of newbies, man? You guys would be there for a week. <laughs> and what's the problem with that? I don't suppose there is one. Uh, at some point, I imagine people have to sleep because the body will collapse. But um, I don't know. Well, you never know. They could be on coffee, Red Bull, Monster, and Coke. Would not surprise me some of the guys in this movie. So. Yeah. <laughs> Their characters, not their actors. Please, nobody sue us. <laughs> uh, so they do their first night of Fight Club. And it flashes back to the house, and the phone rings, and it's Marla, who somehow knows the number to the shit house. Uh, I think she might have mentioned how she gets the number. I honestly can't remember. Um, but she asked said Norton where he's been, because he hasn't been going to the groups, and she... Has been going to the ones that she agreed not to because she doesn't give a fuck. Well, because Edward Norton now has Fight Club, he has his therapy, if you will, and he kind of teases her with it. And yeah, I got my new thing, guys only, ha ha ha. And then she says, ha ha ha, I've taken a bunch of pills and I'm about to die. <laughs> so <laughs> once again, Marley gets the upper hand, and Norton appears not to give a fuck and leaves the phone off the hook and she. Walks away. Oh, God. So badass. I don't know if he just doesn't believe her or... Doesn't give a shit. Doesn't give a shit. The way he narrates it, it sounds like he believed her, but, like, that, that, that's even more cold than, like, yeah, all right, see ya. Yeah, so we, we flash to the next morning, and Marlo walks into the kitchen, and Ed Norton is, of course, surprised. Because he has no idea why she's there. And asks her such. And then she gets pissed off because he asked her. And that'll make more sense later too. But apparently, yes, Tyler has picked up the phone and gone to Marla's. And has helped her successfully evade the police who have been called to her residence because of the suicide attempt. I don't know how her neighbors knew this. Unless there are paper thin walls and heard the phone conversation. That's the only thing I can think of. And they have the best hearing in the world. But somehow they have been alerted and they're coming here, but Tyler gets her out of there and gets her back to his place and where they stay up all night having uh, relations, if you will. Well, let's put it to you this way. It's rough fucking sex. And Ed Norton hears this and mentions how he could go up to the third floor and possibly not hear them, but he doesn't. And he just suffers through hearing it over and over again as this continues through many days and... Marla keeps getting pissed off and leaving. Yes. <laughs> and I love Brad Pitt's comment about, well, after one time Marla has left, he, Tyler walks into the kitchen. He says, he looks over to Ed Norton and says, you got some fucked up friends. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not wrong. No. Uh, so they get another call. And this one is from a detective who I don't believe ever gets a name, but if he does, I don't remember it. Uh, tells Ed Norton that his apartment was broken into. He was uh, essentially arsoned, if you will. Well, bombed, if you want to put it that way. Uh, he said it was possible that the pilot light was blown out, and when the gas filled the room and the refrigerator clicked on, uh, the spark just blew everything up. Uh, he wants to ask Ed Norton questions. Ed Norton, surprisingly, is a little reluctant to be cooperative. 
even asked if he was a suspect. Yeah! Like, and then goes on to defend, like, yeah, the apartment was his life, and everything that was in there he loved, and it was like, but dude, why don't you want to cooperate then? Right. It's really weird, uh, and, and it makes more sense a little bit later, but, yeah, it, it just, it throws you at the point, because it's like, dude, this guy is trying to help, man. <laughs> why are you being such a dick? Right. But he uh, eventually hangs up on the detective and we go back to uh, a scene with Tyler explaining how to make soap and how you could add a few ingredients that we won't say here because we won't be privy to any nitroglycerin making. But he tells you what you can add to make nitroglycerin and also dynamite. And then for some reason, apparently burning your hand with chemicals teaches you things because that's what happens. Well... Put your life in perspective. I, I guess. I, I don't you know, like, think I need someone burning my hand off with a chemical to teach me <clears> that, <throat> but I... Well, that was Tyler's way of having Edward Norton <laughs> let go, finally. Yeah, that was that was a strange one, too, but he does, and uh, Ed tries to go to his cave and his place, and Tyler keeps slapping him back into, into the moment. Until he accepts it. Yeah, it... Looked uh, somewhat uncomfortable, to like, say the least. Chemical burn, yeah, I would say would be fairly fucking painful, yeah. I'd say it's pretty excruciating. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not going to volunteer. I don't know about you. No. <laughs> I'm not going to rush right out and do that. No, no. However, after that, uh, it seems that Ed Norton starts giving fewer and fewer fucks at work. Tyler's rubbing off on him. Yeah, he's uh, he's starting to stand up to the boss man, starting to not really care about his uh, appearance, his presentation, how he talks to people, uh, what he does. And we're coming to one of my favorite scenes. So we flash to another Fight Club scene, and Bob is back! Bob's joined Fight Club! And he fucks Ed Norton up. Yep. <laughs> but he's like... At the same time, being like the sweetest guy about it. I, man, I really hope I didn't hurt you. <laughs> like, yeah, actually, you did, Bob. <laughs> like, poor guy. Uh, but, it, yeah, Bob just... I, I think he took, like, one punch in that fight or something. Like, he, he was a beast, man. Yep. <laughs> um, however, then we meet the proprietor of the basement that Fight Club is held in. Lou! Lou has come down and wants to know who all these people in his basement are. They want to know who he is. And he says, my name's on the building. And then Brad Pitt decides, well, if this guy's not going to let us use his basement, I'm going to go crazy guy and convince him. So. And how does he convince him? How does he convince him? He lets Lou beat the shit out of him until he decides to jump on top of him and bleed all over him. Until he agrees to let, us, let them use the basement. Uh, he essentially, like, spits blood up from wherever, internally, maybe it's just his mouth, I don't know, all over Lou while he's got him into the ground. Oh, it's... And I love how Bre or Tyler says, You don't know where I've been, Lou! <laughs> <laughs> and it's oh, very true. But it, it's such a great Well, he's banging, he's, he's, he's banging, he's banging more on my, my, or Marla. That... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you really don't know where he's been. Also true. <laughs> um, but it's a great example of you, you don't want to fuck with the crazy guys, so <laughs> Lou just says, okay, use the basement, leaves. Uh, that, that's, that's fantastic. Yep. Absolutely. 
Then the next weird thing that Tyler comes up with to do happens, and as they're leaving that session where Lou lets them have the basement, he says, we all have a homework assignment. Uh, They all have to start a fight with a stranger and lose. And what the fuck? (laughs) Why are we starting a fight with a stranger and losing? And why are we in Fight Club if you're going to lose? Uh, I, I... don't get it. I don't understand it. I, I I understand the concept behind it is he's trying to get the the beginnings of the group mindset, you know, thinking all is one. But it's just such an odd thing to do, especially with one of the guys they show in the clip. He's he's one he works at a, at a service station. He's you know washing down the pavement and he starts spraying water on a priest. <laughs> That's actually fantastic when uh, the priest decides to fight back. Yeah. <laughs> he throws, like, this, like, half-ass punch, and, oh, my God, I'm sorry, and then, like, turns around and then breathes. Well, because the guy sprays him again. <laughs> oh, man. So good. So we, we go through the homework assignment. Uh, we then go back to the office, and Ed Norton has been discovered. He His Fight Club rules have been found on the printer, and he realizes, okay, it's time to step this up a notch, and he goes into his boss's office, and we blackmail the boss into a lot of cool stuff. Um, but first, how does he blackmail the boss? He beats the shit out of himself. He absolutely fucks himself up. I, and that's, this is my favorite scene in the movie. Absolutely favorite scene in the movie because he grabs his own tie. What are you doing? And punches himself in the jaw. <laughs> uh, I, I believe at one point he puts himself through a table as well, yes? And bookcases. And bookcases. And by the time security shows up, he's a bloody mess at the feet of his boss. Yes, he times it so perfectly that he gets to the feet of his boss and... Make sure that the boss has some of his blood on his hands when security busts in. And it, it's absolutely brilliant. And I, I, what does he, he gets like a weekly paycheck. For a year. For a year. He gets so many travel vouchers, a computer, a fax machine, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, which is hilarious because like half of that's probably going to work in that shitty house, but... Well, but at the same time, way Edward Norton puts it in the movie, now we have a, now Fight Club has a corporate sponsor. It was great. That of all the weird shit that happens, that one I, I popped for because it was it was brilliant of a way to get in what they needed. And like I said, that was my favorite scene in the movie. Always has been, always will be. I mean, I'm sure some of you knuckleheads out there have tried to like punch yourself at times, but you, if you've never seen this movie, go ahead and watch this movie just for that scene because he he makes punching yourself into an art. So they've got their their funding and their their equipment. Now there's more homework assignments coming after Fight Clubs. Bigger ones. Bigger ones. They're they're mostly vandalism though. Yes. Um, nothing that, that's really hurting anybody except there's one scene. Tyler and Ed Norton go to a convenience store and grab the the worker that's there, drag him out back, and Tyler pulls a gun and puts it at the back of his head. And basically says he's going to shoot this guy. Freaks the guy out, tries to get out of the guy what it is that he went to school for. Finds out that he was supposed to uh, go for veterinary school. Uh, I don't remember why he stopped, but Tyler basically says, Okay, if you're not on your way to being a vet in six months, I'm coming back and shooting you. 
Now go. And he says, I'm keeping your ID so I know where to find you. And then it's revealed that the gun was empty and it was all just a ruse, but that is uh, an awfully harsh way to motivate someone. Oh, that's what you call being under the gun. Touche. <laughs> well done. Well played. Wonderful sentiment. Try to get the guy to go chase his dream, but man, doing it at gunpoint is... Ooh. Well, see, I, I always loved what Tyler said after, after the, kid, the guy ran away. Tomorrow, he, this uh, gentleman's going to eat breakfast and it's going to taste... Better than everything, anything he's ever ate before. Because now he's gotten a new lease on life. I've, I've thought about that line in the past, too. And I don't know if I'd be eating breakfast the next day. I think I'd still be, like, in the bathroom trying to keep down what I had the night before. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. But I get the sentiment. Um, so that's probably far and away the most violent of the, the homework that they do in that scene. Well, at least up until now. So it flashes back to the house, and now we are a full-fledged cult compound. Oh, man. And how do the, the, the recruits get into the house? So we're going to test our entrance. We make them stand outside for a really long time. Three days, three nights, wasn't it? It is, I believe, at least three days, uh, if not three days and three nights, but obnoxiously long time. Yes. So we're going to do that, and we're going to insult them while they're standing there, and Bob's going to come and stand there, and then he's going to try to leave, and Ed Norton's going to have a heart and pull him back and say, no, don't go, Bob. It's just part of the thing. Because <laughs> <laughs> he, I think, secretly loves Bob. Maybe not so secretly. He loves Bob. Platonically. Then, to add on to the cultishness, now we all shave our heads. I can relate. They're shaving your head because you want to, and then there's everyone shaves their head because that's what we do here in the house. Okay, then I'm not in the cult. That's, yeah, that's that's very, very creepy. Um, and that's probably the point. And then one of the newly shaved recruits goes outside to join in the insults. You're too blonde? Yeah. What the fuck is that? That was the most terrible insult I think I've ever heard. Like I, I think he, that guy would just... Incredibly stupid. That's all I could come up with. <laughs> it's like the character, not the actor. Right. I. It's like if an eight-year-old was on the playground trying to insult someone that was picking on him and like had nothing to come back with. Like, you're too tall. Yeah. You're stupid. <laughs> like, oh, it was so painful but funny at the same time. Uh, I, I love on all, all of this. You've got this mass of people living in this place, and I know it's fairly secluded, but you have to figure a cop's gone by here a few times, and none of them notice this giant mass of people in this shitty rundown building and come to, you know, see what's going on. Not to mention, you know, like you said, a cop has had to go on down there, even if he's just hiding out somewhere in killing time. Uh-huh. Notice, he, he, tell me he didn't notice recruits standing on the fucking front porch for three fucking days? <laughs> right? Wouldn't be suspicious at all. Nah. <laughs> this is run-of-the-mill shit. Yeah. <laughs> so then we find out a little bit later that we have something called Project Mayhem. Project Mayhem has begun. Uh, we start with the side of a high-rise building that has been painted in green in the shape of a smiley face. What were the eyes they were? Flames. Flames from a burnt-out building. Very similar to Ed Norton's apartment. Very ironic. Very telling. And 
one Ed Norton comes in and sees this on the news and is shocked and asks what, what the hell's going on. What did you assholes do? <laughs> and we learn rule one of Project Mayhem, which is... You don't ask, we don't ask about Project Mayhem. You do not ask questions, and... He asked a question. Breaking rules constantly in this movie. It, yeah. Yeah. There's going to be another one coming up in a bit here, too, which uh, was pretty major. But, in the meantime, when he's watching the news, the police commissioner's talking about it, so they decide they're going to go and cut this off at the pass, and the commissioner's at some kind of dinner or ceremony or something. And, and they all dress up as busboys! Busboys! And they track the commish down in the bathroom. And they tackle the commish in the bathroom. And they put rubber bands over his gentlemanly parts in the bathroom. And say that if he does not stop the investigation, they're going to cut said gentlemanly parts off below said rubber band. We are the ones that cook your food, dump your garbage, do not bother us. Say there's no investigation. There is no investigation. I would say, without a shadow of a doubt, I don't know about you, sir, but that would be enough for me to say, yeah, I'll go ahead and stop. The minute they would drop my pants, I'd say I'd give. <laughs> yeah, very effective way. I mean, if they dropped my pants, I'd pull out the Hogan's Hero line right there. I, I see nothing, I know nothing. Ah. <laughs> uh. And it looked like it was a fairly sharp knife, but it was a small knife, and it looked like it was going to take more than one swipe. Yeah. So I don't think it would have been very pleasant, uh, no matter how quick it was. No. Uh, so I think Kamish made the right choice. Yeah. <laughs> but, as you mentioned, the rules don't matter. Not really. Because the next scene, uh, Jared Leto gets his face busted the fuck in during a fight by Ed Norton. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this was probably one of the most gruesome scenes of the movie. Uh, the fight club scenes were always pretty intense, but this one in particular, Ed Norton clearly has this fight one, but does not stop violating the rule that when someone goes limp or says stop or taps out, out, that the fight is over because he is clearly limp and not doing anything. And Ed Norton keeps going to town and going to town and going to town. And nobody stops him. Well, at, at, uh, finally somebody does stop him, though. Eventually, yes. Yeah. And I love Tyler's line at the end of the, where did you go, psycho boy? And his uh, Ed Norton's quote was, I wanted to destroy something beautiful. And Jared Leto's character is definitely a pretty boy. Uh, he was the one that was too blonde, uh, if you will. <laughs> but... We, we have rules that we're breaking in very blatant fashion. There was a mention of the, you don't talk about Fight Club rule, getting mentioned in passing during one of the sessions because there were new members, so clearly they had been talking about it. And so that one was getting broken, too. It doesn't seem like there's any consequences for breaking these rules. But to kind of contradict what you're saying right now, the newer members that come in, the original members that are there now... Could just be telling them, come with us. Yeah, and it's just the, uh, um, specifically when Brad Pitt says, I see a whole lot of new members in here today, which means a lot of you are breaking the first rule of Fight Club. Right. And, but like you said, it might not necessarily be true. Either way, it doesn't seem like there's any real consequences to breaking these rules, so. Well, they're nonconformist anyway, so. Yeah, my question is, is that the point? I think it might be. Because 
it's very odd to set all of these up and then if, if something happens, oh well. <laughs> like, all right. Well, for all we know, though, because it didn't go into too much into too much background about it. If somebody did get caught breaking the rules, somebody might have been said, "Okay, you're going to fight this person, and that person's clearly a better fighter than that person. You're going to get your ass kicked." It could be. We're speculating, but it could have been. And I will uh, definitely admit I have not read the book, so I don't know if this is clarified in any way in the book. So if it is, then go with that. So after we uh, bust Jared Leto's face to shit, we have Ed Norton and Tyler and two other, two or three other recruits in the back seat of a car going down the road at night. Two. Two. Mm. Uh, Ed Norton starts flipping out on Tyler and talks about things going too far. Tyler comes back and tells him that Project Mayhem is what Fight Club has begun. It is like an evolution. And also reveals that he's the one who blew up Ed Norton's apartment. Not to mention, folks, they're in a stolen car. They are in a stolen car. Which will make the next part a little easier for them to stomach because we're just going to have a crash on purpose to prove a point. Because you have to let go. Because that's a fun thing to do. Um, he's trying to get Ed Norton to let go, and he's gotten to that point where he's like, all right, now, now we're going to do this. And he just lets go of the wheel. They go into oncoming traffic. Um, he's waxing philosophical as he's doing this. You know, what, what would you have regretted if you were to die right now and stuff? And well, what, 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 could you, what would you want to do before you die? Right. Build a house, paint a self-portrait. <laughs> the two guys in the yep. backseat, yep. yes. Ed Norton refuses to answer, and he's trying to get the wheel, and Brad Pitt's freaking out and saying, just let go. And eventually they do, when they hit a parked car that's already at the scene of another breakdown or accident or whatever, and then they roll down a hill, and somehow everyone's okay. Were so, the guys in the backseat okay? I thought so. I could be wrong. I thought they were all right, because he, uh, Tyler gets out and says, we just had a near-life experience. <laughs> um, I, I can't remember if we see the other two guys get out or not, so I, I could be wrong on that. I mean, no point. Well, we go back to the house. Now Tyler's gone, but the cold house is packed to the gills now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ed Norton's out in the garden area in the middle of the night, because people garden in the middle of the night, I guess. Um, Got a half gallon of vodka in his hand. Yes, he does. And Marla comes over, and Ed tells her, man, Tyler's gone. He's not here. And Tyler gone. Yeah. Marla gets all, like, weirded out and then pissed off and then leaves again. And then there's commotion. Bob's been shot. Bob and somebody else. But most importantly, Bob got shot. In the head. They were serving Project Mayhem. Yeah, they had an assignment that went horribly wrong. Well, the assignment got fulfilled, but the aftermath goes horribly wrong, and a security guard shoots Bob in the yeah. head. There is no more Bob. And we learn at the time that in Project Mayhem, they have no names, but Ed Norton says... His name is Robert Paulson. And then the members take that run with it in pure cult-like fashion, and make up some wacky-ass, well, I guess in death, maybe we do have names. <laughs> in Project Mayhem, we don't have names, but in death, we do. And his name was Robert Paulson. So let's chant that! And everyone starts chanting, his name was Robert Paulson. <laughs> and Edward Norton is telling all these idiots to shut up. Because <laughs> they, they wanted to bury him in the garden. <laughs> 
Yes, uh, so Ed Norton, because he loves Bob, does not want him buried in the garden like some piece of discarded evidence. He wants him to have a respectful goodbye, and his name was Robert Paulson, has now become the chant of Project Mayhem. <laughs> oh my god. So he realizes that something's going down, and now the search begins for Tyler Durden. Uh, Ed Norton goes on a track through a lot of cities. Lots of people in those cities are of no help, but they say everything's under control, sir. Or something of the lines of blah, 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 sir. He's always, he's always addressed as sir. So, clearly, people that are in on Project Mayhem, and this is a multiple city thing. Then we meet the bartender. The fateful bartender that leads us to the twist. The beginning of the twist. Yes. What that twist? So in this bar, they're chanting, his name is Robert Paulson. The, yeah, I forgot about that. Yes, the, the workers in the kitchen, excuse me, in the kitchen in the back, they are chanting his name is Robert Paulson. The bartender has one of those uh, those neck braces where you actually like are, are anchored into your skull so you can't turn your head like... He's got, like, scars all over his face. Like, this dude is messed up. Like, like worse than Jared Leto got messed up. Yeah. And Ed Norton asks him. Uh, I, I forget what he asks him first. Uh, well, the bartender said, just told him, don't worry, things are under control, sir. Yeah. And he says, what's under control? He says, everything's fine, Mr. Durden. He, he calls him Mr. Durden. And he's asked him a couple of times if it's a test. And yes. Um, I, I forget the exact things that he asked, but one of them was, you know, what what did you just call me? And are you sure this isn't a test? <laughs> he says, Mr. Durden, and Ed Norton is admittedly floored because he has just been called Tyler Durden. Durden. Ed Norton runs back to his hotel, calls Marla, asks her what his name is. She calls him Tyler. And then we see Tyler. At that moment, you realize that this is a split personality. And Brad Pitt has arrived in the room and confirms that we have split personalities. All of those things, the Tyler blips that were significant because it showed him kind of weeding his way into Ed Norton's brain while those insomniac periods happened. And the same suitcase and all of the, the little clues that you got along the way have added up to this moment all the idiosyncrasies it was tyler is his alter ego well i wouldn't say alter ego but everything he wants to be i will say with no shame i did not see this in any way shape or form coming neither did i the first time i saw this movie uh i know a lot of people say you know i guess the twist i did not guess the twist I thought it was fantastic when he says we have lost cabin pressure. Sure. Yep. Yep, we did, because I was right along with you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, now you have to reconcile the last hour of the movie to all of these things that have clued you in without giving it to you. Fantastic. Yes. Absolutely. Ed Norton goes home. The cold house is now empty. Except for some bomb materials... And everything is under control, sir, when he calls the, uh, the... Different addresses. addresses. Yes. There's a, a wall full of manila envelopes with addresses on them, and he calls a couple of them trying to say, something bad's gonna happen, I'm not sure what, but 
you got to get everyone out of there. Everything's under control, sir. So, clearly they have plants in all of those addresses. So, he gets Marla. He finds her walking down the road in a cab randomly in what I assume is New York City or something of the like, but just randomly finds her walking on a street in a cab because it's easy to do in a city. Gets her to at least humor him long enough in a diner that also has Project Mayhem plants because he has offered food on the house and she doesn't understand why it's on the house, but orders a bunch of food she's not going to eat. Except for the soup. Except for the soup that... Uh, Ed Norton says, clean food, so he says, okay, don't have the soup. He understands that his split personality sees her as a threat because she knows too much, so he tries to get her to leave. And she, for some reason, isn't having any of this. I don't know, it seems kind of odd to me that if someone was saying that you were in danger, I, I would probably listen to that person. But, conversely, though... You've now seen both sides of Tyler Durden, and you don't know what the fuck to believe anymore. I don't know if I would. Touche. That, that's a good point. But she, she's just not having any of it. But no. as he, uh, as Ed Norton follows her outside, he stops a bus, gives her just a, a wad of money, and says, just get on this bus and go somewhere. Don't tell me where you're going, because you'll be in danger if I know. She does, somewhat unwillingly, but she does it, and pretty much tells him off and then leaves, because she doesn't give a fuck, because she's Marla. Um, no fucks given, girl. Exactly. From there, he goes to the police station to continue his uh, attempt to stop all this. Turns himself in, gives all of the details that he knows, uh, says that they're going to blow up, and this is where you first find out what the actual intent is. We find out that they are going to blow up credit card company buildings so that everyone's debt goes back to zero and it causes chaos because it's Project Mayhem and we cause chaos. The head detective says, I'm going to check this out. Leaves and leaves the other head, or the other detectives in the room. And all of the detectives are part of Project Mayhem. They are part of Project Mayhem. They start calling him sir and saying how wonderful it is that he's doing this and how brave it is that he's doing this. And Ed Norton has no idea what. And they tell him that if anyone tries to get in the way of Project Mayhem, including you, sir, we gotta take his balls. And they start going police commissioner on Ed Norton. And they try to find the rubber band. And Ed Norton's trying to fight it off. Steals their gun. He tries to stop them with the, um, you're right, I am Tyler Durden. I am Tyler Durden, and we need to stop it. You said you'd say that. <laughs> yeah. Tries to get him to stop a couple of other lines. You said you'd say that, too. Fortunately for Ed Norton, the head detective comes in and says that he only peeks his head in the door, so he doesn't see the commotion going on around the corner. But he at least gets the commotion to stop for long enough. That says that there's, you know, there's some credence to what he's saying, and we're going to check it out. And the other guy's like, yeah, I'll be right there, and closes the door, and they go back to trying to take the gentlemanly parts of Ed Norton. But he is able to steal a gun that is haphazardly hanging from one of the belts of the detectives. Yeah, that was safe. Yeah, not, not exactly the top in procedure, but... So he grabs the gun, and I thought about this line a long time. He says the first one to come out the door gets a lead salad. <laughs> he's trying to talk tough and doesn't know how. What do you suppose is in a lead salad? I get what he's trying to say. He says if someone comes out, he's going to shoot him. But a lead salad. Let's think about that. Yeah, well, here's my take on that. 
you got a gun, you got a bullet. So you stick it up your ass like somebody's eating their salad tossed. Lead salad. So I was thinking the other direction. Like, he's like this bowl full of, like, lead-based paint chips. That's like your lettuce. <laughs> and, like, yeah, lead pellets as your croutons. Oh, good and Bullets and gunpowder in there. And, like, are you force-feeding this guy and getting him lead poisoning from the inside out? Like, like, thinking about it, a lead salad would be kind of a horrible way to go. <laughs> That'd be a very painful way to go. <laughs> so, I took it the other complete extreme, but the more I thought about it, the funnier it got. So. This is why I love you, brother. Because only you think of shit like this. Uh, the controlled chaos of my mind. Uh, fortunately, nobody uh, has a lead salad. I, I, does he bar the door or something? I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think he does. What got me about after that, though, is you're escaping from a police station and you're boxers. Yes. With a gun in your hand. And gee, he made it look so simple. <laughs> he just walks out the door. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, that's normal. We see that every day. Oh, God. Uh, that's fantastic. He, he just walks right out the door. So, again, suspension of disbelief. Uh, so he escapes. Now it's time to stop the bombs, right? He goes to one of the addresses and finds the van in one of the garages. He's in the van and he's looking at the bomb. Brad Pitt shows up in the front seat. I don't know who's Tyler Durden at this point, so I'm going to call him Brad Pitt from here on out. That's what I was I've probably been calling him that all episode, and I just haven't realized it too, but uh, y'all know who I'm talking about. So he's advising Ed Norton against trying to disarm the bomb. You know, you might not know which one it is. Ed Norton says, well, if you know, then I know. Well, what if I'm thinking about the wrong one? And, you know, they, they have a back and forth. Ed Norton successfully disarms the bomb. Brad Pitt gets upset at this and starts fighting him. So basically, Edward Norton's kicking his own ass at this point again. Indeed. Now that you know it's a split personality, it is the weirdest shit. So the first couple of shots send Ed Norton back out the van. It's assumed Tyler must have rewired the bomb before he jumped out after him, because why wouldn't he? But the scenes of... This is what I love, too, about this movie, is the security camera footage. Yes, that's actually a uh, distinct point that I noticed was... After Brad apparently rewires, slams the door, breaks the handle off the van so it can't get back in and redo it, re-disarm it. They went like horror movie all of a sudden. Like, if you notice the score in the back of that scene, where it's like that almost, that disquieting, uh, like disembodied voice moan kind of sound right. while they're doing that fight. And like you mentioned, this the security footage. The, the real-time scenes have the both of them, but the security footage of just him. It's very, like, paranormal activity before that was a thing. Very true, and the fact of the matter is, imagine you put yourself in that situation, you're a security guard in that building, looking at the footage on those, cam- on those cameras. The first words out of my mouth would be, what in the actual fuck is going on? Right. Now, I have to go on the assumption that there either weren't any because they had evacuated at that point. I think the bomb had, like, 20 minutes left on it. I'm assuming that because all the security personnel and all the maintenance staff had been established that they were our people, according to Brad Pitt, there wasn't going to be any anybody hurt because Ed Norton like says this is murder. No, no, it's not murder. All the people are going to be gone. And the buildings are going to be empty. So I'm assuming nobody saw this footage. But touche. If Project Mayhem people were still in there and they saw that, I would love to have seen like the reaction, like you're saying of. Like, especially when um, Brad Pitt grabs him from uh, from behind and throws the shirt collar. 
and he's just he's pulling him backwards. And you see Ed Norton's feet kicking as he's getting pulled backwards. It straight up looks like a ghost is pulling him. Because I don't know how a person could do that on their own. That's incredible CGI right there. Yeah. I don't know how you could be sitting up, kicking your feet out in front of you, and moving backwards. Because it didn't look like he was catching pavement with the feet either. No. So, yeah, it legit looked like, you know, a haunted spirit doing it. And then, yeah, throwing him down the stairs. Yeah, he gets fucked up. So, yeah, Brad Pitt wins the fight by a, by a landslide. Um, I do love when uh, Ed Norton fires the gun at him. Whoa! Yes! You're, you're firing a gun at your imaginary friend, a van full of nitroglycerin! Because, of course he did. I would like to think in that situation, even as messed up as I would be, I would be smarter than that, but I don't know. You gotta remember the altered mind state, though. I would think... This is an imaginary friend. I don't think a bullet's gonna hurt. <laughs> but you never know. Again, in your mind, though, it's real. So, we have come full circle. We are at the Rosebud. <laughs> at the beginning of the movie now. Yes. And Norton wakes up in the high-rise with the gun in his mouth, as we saw in the opening credits. And they go into uh, a philosophical debate about how it's a good thing, how it's not a good thing, but it really is a good thing. And eventually... Ed Norton realizes that if Brad Pitt's holding the gun, then he's holding the gun. And decides he's going to get rid of Brad Pitt. Puts the gun in his mouth and shoots. Brad Pitt breathes some smoke. Says something about smelling funny, I think. And collapses. Ed Norton somehow lives and can still talk through this. Not very well, though. What in the actual fuck? How many people do you know have stuck a gun in their mouth and fired and lived? Well, not only that, but you killed your imaginary friend. How are you not dead? There's no way that that bullet didn't pierce brain or spinal cord or a major artery on its way out. There's no way that it... Yeah. I mean, it didn't go, like, through his cheek. If, I, if he'd done that, I could understand. But, like... It went out, like, back behind his ear, I think. Yeah. Like, like okay, come on. But, I'm all right. Yeah. It, he starts off talking like that and kind of gurgly, and then, like, it, as it goes on, he kind of gets his normal voice back, too. Like, not full strength, but, like, understandable, anyway. Well, and then they bring Marla back. They track her down and bring her back. They do. She is brought in by Project Mayhem members, and he tells them to get the hell out of here. And they somewhat kind of reconcile, assumingly. She's mad at first, then she sees that he's shot, and gets kind of concerned, and then he uh, tells a sob story about how it's the weirdest time of his life, and then all of the bombs go off in the buildings, and all the buildings fall down around them. And Project Mayhem has been successful. We don't know where it goes from there, because as soon as the buildings fall, the credits roll, and we have... Ah, uh, what a ride. A lot of twists and turns, a lot of WTF moments. Yeah, I mean, probably one of my favorite movies from yeah, early 2000s, right around that era. Yeah, um, I was late to the ballgame on this one. I didn't see it in theaters. I actually didn't see it until probably like 2004, 2005-ish. Oh, wow. Not, not for any particular reason, it just it never came across, and... Um, this was before days of Netflix and streaming and stuff like that, kiddos. There were times where we had to go to video stores and rent movies. Well, they know about that. There's still a few <laughs> around here and there. Yeah. 
So it just it never happened to cross my mm-hmm. path, and so yeah, I was, I was late to the game. So when I saw it, I, I loved it. But they say looking at it with a critical eye, there's a lot of hoops you have to jump through mentally to reconcile some things. But I I love the ride. It's it's fantastic. Uh, I, I love the altered perspective on things. Well, I mean, too, when it was first released, it was it, it was the, the take on it was very split. Okay, a lot of people loved it like we did, but a lot of people were against it. They didn't like it because it portrayed violence. Yeah, it it, it glamorized violence to a point, and a lot of people were against it. Yeah, um, and that's I I don't know how I feel about people that say like movies and games glamorize anything like i I don't know um that's where parents come in yeah i I, if they're trying to scapegoat it and say that that's the cause of things going you know haywire in the world in the real world uh barking up the wrong tree at least with me because oh absolutely uh but i i thought that it was a really fun ride it was let's say the characters were just way out there uh very few movies have characters quite to the extreme that this one did and it was kind of fun seeing them all interact with each other because usually if you have one it's like one character and then you have like the straight guy maybe some comedic relief but these these cats were all like off the deep end and just seeing how they kind of worked with each other uh, it was a lot of fun and for me it's like i think edward norton was the perfect person to play this role yeah because if you go back to basically edward norton's big break 1996 film Primal Fear. He portrayed himself to have multiple personality disorder in that movie, but at the end of the movie, he was just screwing with everybody. <laughs> but it, he had the experience in dealing with something like this, so he was the perfect character for this role. Yeah, I thought the casting was fantastic. Um, that Helena Bonham Carter can be in pretty much anything that she wants to be, as far as I'm concerned. She, she's wonderful. Uh, Brad Pitt's awesome. Ed Norton's awesome. Well, uh, I'm going to contradict you there with Helena Bonham Carter, only because I thought the movie sucked. Uh, one of the remakes of Planet of the Apes. No, no that was terrible. See, I haven't watched those. Uh, don't. I didn't really plan to, but that, that's like a losing premise. That Those are the kind of movies where I'm like, how bad would it have been had they not been there? <laughs> True, but I mean, I will say this, I'm not trying to get off the subject here, but I mean, the newer spinoffs of the Planet of the Apes, I liked a lot better than the one before that. Uh, the Mark Wahlberg one? Yeah. yeah. The Mark Wahlberg one was terrible. Uh, yeah. That, and, that, and that's the one she was in. Yeah, because it took this for that one for me. It took the social commentary. Yeah, and we can we can definitely visit that in a in an episode because I, I love social commentary movies, and I hate when remakes remove that. And right. there are several examples that I'll be happy to go over. We'll go. We'll discuss that at a later date, though. <laughs> Indeed. So uh, we'll go ahead and give the uh, the movies that we review a something out of five stars on our own personal scale and. Uh, We'll do these for each one, just for fun, though. No real tallying of any sort. So out of five stars, Fight Club. For me, five stars. Five stars. I mean, for the fact that, like you mentioned before, lots of twists and turns. I mean, the plot twist when, like you said, we have lost cabin pressure. For me, right there, that was a holy shit moment. That, to me, is like, that made the movie. That was it for me. It's like, all right, everything after that was a bonus. Cool. For me, I'm going to give it four. Okay. I'm gonna give it four. I love the the nuances of the foreshadowing of the split personality. When you go back and see it a second time, and all those little little seeds that kind of tell you it's coming, uh, it was very sixth sense. Uh, I love that part of it. 
I think there were a little too many instances where I had to suspend too much disbelief to give it a full five, but it was still a very, very good movie, and I enjoyed it a lot. So I will, I will give it a solid four. I mean, another reason why I give it a five is because another one way I judge movies for myself is does it hold my attention through the entire movie, especially after I've seen it already once. Mm-hmm. If it can do that, that to me is a five. Nice. Maybe we, maybe we'll do categories. We'll put some categories together for the next one. We can we can do each category out of five. Yeah, Rewatchability can be one of those categories. There you go. Ah, we're evolving in episode one, right before your eyes. Hey. <laughs> ah, so we have a random list here that we have put together of a bunch of movies we want to do. Well, you got to remember, folks, this list Bill and I were joking about it about a week ago. The list of movies we have completely that the list that we've already talked about this may take us five years yeah we've got a whole lot in the tank so uh we're just getting started and we're happy to have you on the ride and hope that our picks are entertaining enough for you to come on the ride with so next up goon ah goon wow that one is early i didn't think that was going to come up till later uh, so Goon, Sean Williams, Scott, Jay Baruchel, hockey movie from 2006? I believe, uh, believe it's correct. I believe 2006. That'll be next on deck. Uh, one of our favorite sports movies, one of our favorite comedies. Uh, th- this one's going to be a fun episode. Uh, even if you're not into hockey and you're not necessarily the biggest Sean Williams Scott fan, hopefully you'll join us because this one is a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. Um, do we want to do both the goons? Yeah, we might as well. So we'll talk about Goon and Goon 2, Last of the Enforcers, the, uh, the sequel that finally came out a couple of years ago. Uh, both incredibly funny movies, and we'll, uh, we'll have a good time with that. Sports desk. Sports <laughs> at a desk, you lunatic. <laughs> oh, man. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we made it through episode one, man. We do. Congratulations. We survived Fight Club. We have survived. <laughs> ah, any parting thoughts before we wrap this up, sir? Well, now we've got to do some homework on Goon now, that's all. Well, and see, that's for me again, like I spoke about earlier, rewatchability. Um, if I can go ahead and watch this again and be happy about it, keep my attention, I'm, I'm good. I'm, you know, pretty much every movie we're going to do is going to be kind of like that for me. Nice. So, All right. Well, um, we're going to have social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Check us out there. Um, I'll put links in the, uh, the podcast page so that we can easily retrieve those. So check us out, like, subscribe, comment, tell us uh, any movies that you like, any ones that you might want us to check out. We'll, we'll give it a look over and consider those. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, absolutely have a public forum here. Have people, you know, weigh in, say, you know, maybe suggest a movie you want us to review. Yeah, for sure. I mean, tell us if you like us, if you hate us, if we suck, we don't care. We're big boys. That's right. We we just are happy that you're here and listening along with us and reviewing some of these movies along with us. Hopefully they're uh, hitting the nostalgia bug with you, and we'll, uh, we'll hope to keep pushing that button for you. All right, everybody. Well, uh, until next time, it's Bill and Zim. We'll be out of here. All right, everybody. Take care.